We're in the middle of a series called Follow. As you know, that's why we have these signs of being a fan or a follower. And what we've learned is that Jesus is inviting you and me to follow him. And we're discovering that the premise for this series is that you need to be at least two things. Number one is that you need to be a sinner. And the other is that you need to have unbelief. So here Jesus um, is telling us that he invites you and I to follow him. If you have doubts, if you have questions, and he says, come and follow me. If you're lost or if you're broken, he says, come and follow me, which I'm excited about and encouraged by because I'm all of those at different times. But today I want to talk to you about what the end game is. In other words, if you decide to follow Jesus your entire life and you're sitting there at the age of 70 or 80 and you're going to say, oh man, I am so glad I follow Jesus because what are you going to say? What's the reward? What is the end game? We will discover today that the reward or the payoff is probably not what you think it's going to be. For instance, you will discover that following Jesus doesn't necessarily make you a better person. Although if you do follow Jesus, you will be a good person. You will learn to forgive quicker. You'll be more generous. You'll be kinder. You won't worry about most of the things that other people worry about. When you read the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, which is the first part of the New Testament, it says that Jesus doesn't say that to follow me because you're going to be a better husband or you're going to be a better wife. He doesn't say follow me so that you can be a better person. That is not the promise, although some of the best people, some of the good people that I know are Jesus' followers. The other thing is that he doesn't attach heaven to it. Jesus doesn't say follow me because you can go to heaven. If you read the gospel again, he talks about the kingdom of heaven or he talks about the kingdom of God. The theme of following him has nothing to do with where you're going to spend eternity, which may be a little different to what you've been thinking. In fact, there's a really strange story that you may know or you might remember. He talks to one guy and he promises heaven. And you may recall the thief on the cross next to Jesus. When he is crucified and he turns him, he turns to him and Jesus tells him, today you will be with me in paradise. Well, this guy didn't have an opportunity at all to follow Jesus. Yet he turns to him and at the last minute he tells him, you're going to be with me in paradise. This man was so bad that he said that he deserved to be crucified and didn't follow Jesus one minute of his life. And yet at the very end, he recognizes who Jesus is. And Jesus turns to him and says, today you will be with me in paradise. Which is encouraging, or this may might even make you a little uncomfortable, or perhaps this may basically have you walk out after you hear this, but this basically means that you can live your life any way you want to. And if the last minute you say, I believe in Jesus, yes I do, I believe in Jesus, how about you? It says that you're going to get to go to paradise. This guy did nothing good, and Jesus invites him to heaven for eternity. The good news is that if you want to take a chance and you know when your last moment is going to be here on earth, then you can knock yourself out because the message of Jesus is always grace and forgiveness. The other thing that Jesus did not attach to following him is that he didn't tell you that you're going to have a pain-free, problem-free life. And this gets kind of mixed up with the message of Christianity all the time. Anytime someone says that if you do these three things or if they give you a formula and you're going to expect a certain result, well, 
Things like if you repeat this prayer or this specific prayer or if you kiss your cross or if you turn your face a certain way or if you say a certain prayer for a certain amount of time, you're going to get a certain result or that's something God is going to do for you. Folks, that's not Christianity. That is not following Jesus. In fact, there's a name for that. It's called magic. Magic is when you do something a certain way all the time and certain results happen. Now, you need to know that this thing about magic, and that is that all magic works some of the time. You know, stuff like good luck charms and crossing your fingers. And, you know, and unfortunately, the reason I mentioned that is because some of us were raised in a Christian environment where magic thinking got mixed with Jesus thinking. And the next thing you know, we're trying to do things a certain way to try to get God to bless us. We get a charm and we're going to be lucky for life, right? Well, you know, I tried to find this uh, lucky rabbit tail or foot in a keychain, but I really couldn't find it. But what I did find was this little guy right here. Now, don't confess if you know who this is because I'm about to make fun of you. But it's up on the screen if you can't see it. This is St. Joseph the Carpenter. Now, you too can have St. Joseph the Carpenter if you have $7.00. And shipping and handling through Amazon.com. If you have uh, Amazon Prime, you get it in two days like I did. Now, it comes with instructions in here, and it tells you all about it. But if you bury this guy in your yard, do you guys know what happens? Now, all the magic people in the house know exactly what I'm talking about. I told you not to say anything. I'm just kidding. I didn't mean to do that. Your house will sell. If you're trying to sell your house, you bring this little guy, you bury him into your backyard, and your house will sell. Then you're going to tell your friends about it. And then they're going to go out and say, wow, your house sold when you marry this little guy in the backyard. And they're going to go out to Amazon.com, spend $7 and get it in their little house. And you can see that it goes on and on and on. But you notice that the only people that would benefit from this are the people who sell it. Because you will discover that with magic, there's always a transaction or a sale involved. You see, St. Joseph is not a saint. The only thing we know about Joseph, he's making me uncomfortable. I have to put him away. <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> saint Joseph is not a saint. The only thing we know about Joseph is, is that he was Jesus' father. And he enters the scripture and then he vanishes from the scripture never to be heard of again. And everything else is really made up. Yet I know people, I know all of us know people that have done this. This is a piece of plastic. Or I can tell you that if you're looking for a job and you've been looking for a job and you're having a hard time finding a job, that I could, what if I were to tell you that on Monday morning you get dressed like if you're going to that job and you walk out outside of your door and you stand in front of the door and you turn your Bibles to the book of Job. <laughs> what are you guys laughing at? Does that mean you guys don't believe? You see, if you don't believe, it doesn't work. That's what they tell you, right? That is the one thing that people associate with magic. If you don't believe that it'll work, it's not the $7 that you spent on the statue. It's that you don't believe, and that's always the route. So again, you stand in your front door, and you stand, you turn to the book of Job, and I tell you to read the first two chapters over and over again for two weeks, and you're going to get a job. Well, if I stood up here as a pastor from the pulpit and told you that, some of you guys would actually take me up on it. 
And you'd go, and I would then get an email back from one of you saying, hey, it worked. And then I would come back and read you that email and say, hey, listen, look at what somebody is saying about this. And then you go on and you try it and the, the cycle repeats itself and on and on and on because that's how magic works. All magic works some of the time. But let me tell you, folks, Jesus did not come to be your magician. And whenever you see people weed through the scripture and give you formulas or potions for success, then knock yourself out. But it has nothing to do with following Jesus. And pain-free, problem-free living is not the promise. Today, I want to tell you what that payoff is. If you're going to follow Jesus, you need to know where it's going to lead to. And what's interesting about this is that if you read the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you will notice this theme everywhere in the Gospels. Because Jesus was so consistent and he didn't say, follow me so that you can be a better person. Follow me so that you can go to heaven or follow me so that you can have a pain-free, problem-free life. He said, follow me because I want to do something extraordinary in your life. So open your Bibles or turn to your Bibles, like literally turn your Bibles to chapter 10. And I'm going to give you some background. This is the beginning of Jesus's ministry. Now, Jesus had three groups of people that were following him. They showed up wherever he would go. They would find out that he was in town. And the first group was people that were just the locals. Every time he would be in a town, they say, hey, I've heard about this guy. They go out and they seek him. They start following him. But when Jesus would move to the next town, all of these people would go home. The second group of people that followed him went with him everywhere. There were people like Lazarus and Mary and Martha. And they were not part of the original 12, but there were certainly people that went with Jesus because of everything that he taught and everything that he did. And then there was the inner circle, the apostles, as we, we sometimes refer to them as the disciples. And one day Jesus gathers a group of his followers together and he chooses 12 apostles. And it was a guy that would entrust his, the, the people that he would entrust his ministry and his message to. Then after he handpicks them, he sits them down and he says, now that you are part of the inner circle, you guys all raised your hand and say, hey, pick me, pick me. Now that you guys are part of that, let me tell you what you're going to do. I'm going to send you out with the same message that I have. I'm going to empower you to do the same things that I'm doing. And here's where I want you to go. Here's how long to stay. Here's what to wear. Here's what change of clothes to bring. Here's what to do if this happens. Here's what to do if that happens. He gives them all these instructions. And I can see Matthew and all the disciples, they take out their tablets and they're writing little notes. I mean, they're all into all of these instructions, you know, they're planners. And then he surprises them with what I'm about to tell you this morning. It comes from Matthew. And here he now starts telling his inner circle what to do. And here's where we discover the finish line. We discover the place where your heavenly father wants to take you and where he wants to take me. Chapter 10, verse 16 through 21. And we're going to camp there for a minute, so be patient. We're going to read one verse at a time. He says, I am sending you out like sheep among wolves. And I know all of you guys have heard that saying before. Now you guys know where it originated. Therefore, be as shrewd as snakes and as innocent as doves. Snakes and doves, all of a sudden, it starts like there's maybe some conflict in the horizon coming. And he says, be on your guard. You will be handed over to the local councils and be flogged in the synagogues. 
Now, let's pause here for a second. I mean, let's, let's imagine for a second at this point, the disciples start writing notes and look up and say, flogged in the synagogues? And Jesus says, yeah, yeah, you're going to be arrested. And Jesus now starts to look into their future. He starts prophesying because Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the Gospels in the New Testament, is really all about Jesus' ministry. But when we read the ministry of the disciples in the book of Acts, you will discover that all of these things that he's about to tell them actually happen. But they're not expecting that right now because they're so popular Right now, there's thousands upon thousands of people trying to get to Jesus and to follow him. And the closer you are to Jesus, the more popular that you are. But suddenly, Jesus is telling them that it's all about to change. You are going to be arrested, and you're going to be flogged in the synagogues. Now, this is a big deal. Being flogged, I mean, you could die from this. These were permanent marks that you would wear on your back, and you would have a permanent record forever. So whenever anybody wanted to know if you were a law-abiding citizen, all they'd have to do is look at your body to know if you broke the law or not. And it's not like today. Some for, we have at our disposal ways to get our records expunged or things like that. But not with this case. This thing stayed with you forever. So at this point, I'm sure they're thinking, flogged in the synagogues, and all of a sudden, their minds just starts to change. And it starts to think, maybe, man, this doesn't sound too hot anymore, this following Jesus thing. Verse 18, on my account, you will be brought before governors and kings as witnesses to them and to the Gentiles. But when they arrest you, do not worry about what to say or how to say it. At that time, you will be given what to say. But when they arrest you, not if, but when they arrest you, are you kidding me here, Jesus? Now you're telling me I'm going to be arrested? I thought we were part of this big movement here. I mean, you're so popular. What do you mean we're going to be arrested? And then he says, don't worry about to say. And I'm, I'm not sure what the disciples at that point were thinking, but I know what I would be thinking. I wouldn't be worried about what to say. I'd be worried about that part where it says I'm going to be arrested, Jesus. Are you kidding me? When we are arrested, what to say is the least of my worries. I mean, what is he getting at here? And I'm sure they're thinking that at this time, they won't be thinking about what to say. They will be thinking about, Jesus, can I get a get out of jail free card? Or, I know we all raised our hands and said, pick me, pick me, but I wanted to be part of the inner circle inner circle because we were so excited. But you want us to expect to be arrested and flogged. Then he says, for it will not be you speaking, but the spirit of your father speaking through you. So I'm arrested, I'm flogged, I'm put on trial, and now God will speak for me? Wait a minute, Jesus. Why don't you just unarrest me? Or better yet, why doesn't my heavenly father just not let them arrest me and flog me? Because I'm not sure this is what we signed up for. Verse 21, brother will betray brother to death and father his child. Children will rebel against their parents and have them put to death. You will be hated by everyone because of me. Wow, that sounds great, doesn't it? Everyone sign up to follow Jesus. Brother will betray brother to death. Again, Jesus is looking into the future and you can read in Acts that all of this actually happened. Brothers and parents would be put to death because of following Jesus. People who were following Jesus would be turned in by their family members. And then he summarizes all by saying that you will be hated by everyone. And again, they have to be thinking, no one told us this part. They have to be thinking, right now everybody loves us because of you. People can get close enough because of you. 
I mean, people will give us notes so that we can get to Jesus. They shout out your name. They're trying to reach to hold on to your mantle. All they want is Jesus, Jesus. How, how I don't see this happening. Well, Jesus is saying here that the tide is going to turn and that you'll be hated because of him. And he goes on and on, and you guys can read the rest in your own time. And then he gets to the end, and he brings us to this strange place that he wants to bring all of his followers to. That's you, and that's me. He brings us into this tension that I believe that we have all wrestled with if we believe in any kind of God. He says, here's all the bad things that are going to happen to you. And then he says, but do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. But Jesus, wait, we're going to be arrested. I know, I know. But don't be afraid. But you said we're going to be beaten and flogged. I know. And in the midst of that, do not be afraid. You said we're going to go on trial for our lives and that everyone's going to turn against it. Yes, and when they do, do not be afraid. He says, do not be afraid of those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both body and soul. Soul and body in hell. And here Jesus introduces us to us and he introduces them to something that he will back to over and over again. And here's the good news for us. These guys, they didn't get it until the very end. This was not a lecture that they wrote down on their notes and said, hey, I got this one. Check it off. What do you have? What else do you have for me, Jesus? This was an ongoing process. The whole idea is being able to find themselves in a very difficult circumstances and yet refuse to allow fear to take hold. He continues, are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them will fall to the ground outside of your father's care. And even the very hairs of your head are all numbered. So don't, he says it again, don't be afraid. You are worth far more than sparrows. But Lord, you just said, I know, I know. But you just said, I know. And in spite of that, in the midst of that, do not be afraid, he says. You are worth more than sparrows. Now, here's the point. Here is where Jesus takes his followers. He takes us to a place where our faith in God is so big and it is so strong. He takes us to a place where we are personally so secure in our Father's love that even in the midst of circumstances where it looks like our heavenly Father has forgotten us or worse yet, it feels like He never even knew us to begin with. And then we hear Him whisper, Fear not, for I am with you. See, the message of Jesus was not, don't be afraid because I won't let things bad happen to you. Because that's magic. The message of Jesus was, don't be afraid when bad things happen to you. That is a confidence in God, a confidence again so big and so sure of God's presence and so sure of God's love and so sure of God's protection, a faith that is so big that it actually overwhelms our fears. Where God wants to take you and me is a place where we wake up every single day and we ask questions of like, what would someone like me do if they were totally confident that God was with them? 
that we would wake up every single day and say, what decision will I make today as I face in spite of the attorneys that I'm about to face or in spite of the facts that my employees are saying this about me or in spite of the fact that I may be fired tomorrow? What decision would I make if I was totally confident that God was with me in spite of the fact that today I'm going to get the results from the doctor? What would someone who is me do if they were absolutely confident that, confident that God, who can protect the soul in spite of what someone might do to the body, what would I do if I was absolutely confident that God was with me? Jesus says, I want you to follow me because when you follow me, is that's where I'm going to lead you. That's where I'm going to take you. I'm going to take you to a place not of denial, not of hocus pocus, not a formula to try to figure out how God is going to bless you. No, I want to take you to a place where your faith in me, your heavenly father is so confident that even in the midst of circumstances that should terrify you, you will not be afraid. And he says this over and over and over again. In fact, there's so many examples in the Bible. You may recall the Sermon on the Mount. I'm sure you've heard this or read this many, many times. And right in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount, he says, You of little faith, so do not worry saying, What shall we eat? What shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? And Jesus is telling here that he knows that we need to eat and drink to live. He knows that. He's telling us that when we have total confidence in God, we're not going to be controlled with what we're going to eat or what we're going to drink or what we're going to wear. He says that people who don't have any faith or whose faith is not even bigger than an idol do stuff like that. In fact, he says, for the pagans run after all these things and your heavenly father knows that you need them. So even when there's not enough food, You don't need to be afraid. And even when you don't know where you're going to spend the night, you don't need to be afraid. You don't need to be afraid because your confidence is not in the one who can destroy the body. Your confidence is on the one who knows your name and shields your soul. Your confidence in God is so big that even in the midst of circumstances where everyone else is afraid, you will not be afraid. That is where following Jesus ultimately leads. You know, one day Jesus decides to test how his guys are doing. So they all head out on a boat across the Sea of Galilee. And the storm blows and through the valley because, you know, there's the, the Sea of Galilee surrounded by, it's kind of in a valley, it's surrounded by mountains. And now four of these guys who were in the boat with, with Jesus are fishermen. So waves and boats and all these things, they're not new to them. And it says, the story says that Jesus was asleep on the boat. And I know you guys remember this story. It's found in Mark chapter 4. And Jesus is asleep. The boat is filling up with water. They wake him up and they proceed to tell him, Jesus, we're about to perish. And I'm paraphrasing here, but they kind of ask Jesus, like, Jesus, why are you letting us perish? Don't you care that we're perishing? So, of course, Jesus wakes up. He calms the storm and listen to what he tells them. He said to his disciples, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? And they're like, I don't know if you were paying attention, Jesus, but we just came from the storm that was about to kill us a minute ago. 
That's why we were so afraid. Are you kidding me? And Jesus is like, I know there was a storm. I know there was the boat was filling up with water. I know only four of you can swim, and it's not like you can swim your way out of this one anyway. I know all of that. But here's my question. Why were you afraid? Now, isn't that strange that he would ask them that? It's pretty obvious why they're afraid. This is the place that Jesus took his apostles over and over and over. I know that is happening to you, but do you still have no faith, he asked them? Do you still not believe that your heavenly father cares for you much more than sparrows? Yeah, but why the storm? Well, why your lack of faith? And then an interesting happens, an interesting thing happens. The scripture says that after Jesus calms the storm, and after he says this, it says that the apostles, the twelve, were still terrified. That's very interesting to me. In other words, their fear of the storm was right here, but their fear of Jesus was up here. In fact, I think it's so interesting because it says that they feared a great fear. Because I think suddenly they got the picture of what it means to fear the one who can control the destiny of their soul and refuse to fear anybody that the only thing that they can do is harm the body. And at that moment, they got a snapshot and thought, oh, that is what you mean when you say fear not because your heavenly father knows what you need. I can be in a terrible circumstance and still not fear. And Jesus says, that is where I want to take you. The question is, why would the end game be tied to, I want you to trust that God knows your name and loves you in spite of what's going on in your life and the storms of life? Why would that be the end game? Well, I believe that the reason for that is because that kind of overwhelming faith honors God. I mean, if I ever heard my son or daughter talk to me like, you know, I know my dad did that, but I trust my dad. He meant something different. I mean, how honoring would that be that it doesn't matter what they would hear about me. They know me and they would trust me more than what anybody else is going to say about me. How honoring would that be to me as a parent? So part of this is that we honor God with our bold, audacious, out-of-the-box, over-the-line, nobody-can-believe kind of faith. And if you've ever seen that kind of faith, you know that that is the case. It is honoring to God. But there's a deeper reason that I believe he wants to take us there. And that is because our overwhelming faith really frees us to love. This is the only kind of love that will free you to love an ex-husband, an ex-wife, an enemy that has hurt you. You guys remember Jesus said, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. And we're thinking, pray for those who persecute you. Now, Jesus, you do understand that they persecute you, right? These people that you're telling us to pray for my enemies, they do persecute me. Why would I pray for that? I mean, who does that anyway? I'm not sure you're paying attention here, Jesus, but... These people have leverage over us. They have power over us. They can hurt us. And you're asking us to love them? And he says, yeah. Because if you ever get to the place where your faith in God, God is tied to the fact that you're going to honor and fear the one who control the soul rather than the one who can hurt the body, then your love for God will create parameters that are broader and you will be able to love people who hate you. Who are your enemies? Because here's what John said. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear. Because fear has to do with punishment. 
The one who fears is not made perfect in love. When the fear of those who can hurt you goes away, all of a sudden your capacity for love opens up so broad that love drives out fear. You see, fear and love are incompatible. Jesus says, I come to love the whole world, and as my followers, I want you to love the whole world. And the only way to love the whole world is to get rid of the fear of man and to get rid of the fear of the people that can hurt you in this life. And so I'm going to teach you not to be afraid, even when it seems there's so much to fear. And then he says, now, follow me. Have you ever met anyone with that kind of faith? It's amazing, isn't it? People, I mean, the world is falling apart around them. The storms of life are hitting them. And they're just like, well, we'll see what God's up to. What? Well, I know this is not what I have planned for my life. But if God puts it in my life, then he must have a plan. And I trust that. Have you guys ever met people like that? And there's always a part of us that says that maybe these people are in denial or maybe they're, it's just their type of pain management that they're going through or they're probably taking some drugs or maybe that maybe they should start taking drugs and they're thinking that's this way. But then you scratch a little further in the surface and you get a little deeper and you get to know them and you realize that, no, this is the kind of faith that they have. They really have that much confidence in God. And then there's something in us that wants some of that, isn't there? Isn't there some of you that say, man, if I were to be going through that, I don't know what I would do. Or I don't know what I would do if I had to go through that as well. And Jesus keeps saying, follow me. Because that is where I want to take you. I want to take you to a place to where you hear me whisper over and over through the storms of life. Fear not, for I am with you. I want to take you to a place when around you there is so much to fear that your confidence in your heavenly father is so strong that it doesn't faze you, that you don't fear. And if you've ever seen it or know somebody who knows that kind of faith, you know it's powerful. It's a powerful, powerful thing. I actually, I don't know why this happened to me this week, but I spoke to more than one person, several people who are going through storms I don't even want to think about. And every single time I spoke to them, they said, I know God has this under control. I'm like, wow. I'm supposed to be comforting them as their pastor and they're, and they're teaching me a lesson about faith. Amazing. Now, Paul writes to the church in Rome the following. He says, and we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Imagine living a life with that kind of confidence. The Apostle Paul, who experienced things that you and I will never experience, says that it's possible. There is a faith that is so big. There is a faith that is so broad. There is a faith in God that can overwhelm all of your fears. And that is where your Savior wants to lead you and wants to lead me. I'm going to call, call the worship team to come up. And as they do that, I want you to start thinking, you know, maybe you're thinking right now, well, that's all good, but that's not me right now. Well, let me tell you, that's not me either, because it takes a lifetime, but it has to start with a decision. It has to start with you having an understanding that God wants you to feel and think differently than everybody else. That's why you're here today, because you are a Christian. You are a believer of Christ. And that's where he wants to lead you. So if your confidence is not in the one that controls your destiny, 
and you feel that your confidence in your future is locked in the people that can kill the body, then I want you to know that Jesus today, this morning, is telling you, follow me. And as we sing this next song, it's just to re- your time to respond. Perhaps some of you this morning are hearing this message and you're trying to apply it to the pain that you're feeling and are having a hard time doing that. Perhaps you know somebody who's going through such a hard time that you wish they would somehow understand that, and maybe it is you that needs to show them how to do that. This is your time between you and God to respond to God as he leads you and tugs at your heart, whatever that is. There's no agenda. It's between you and God. So as Matt sings his next song and the band sings the next song, just bow your heads, listen to the words, and spend time with God. May the Lord bless you.